As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, we're at the end of the story. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound Bible somewhere near you. Uh, This morning's passage will be on the screen, also can be found on page 1041 of the Pew Bibles that are uh, on the floor somewhere around you. Wait just a second for everybody to come in. Well, uh, tomorrow, uh, for my wife and I, we will be celebrating 18 years of marriage. Uh, <laughs> I was going to honor her, but I don't see her. So, um, what, no. um, what a gift uh, for me personally that my wife has been to me these past 18 years. Um, she is my closest friend. She is my encourager. She speaks the gospel to me in a way that no one else uh, can speak the gospel. And uh, just as I was reflecting uh, on those 18 years, uh, we've kind of morphed together, I think, as a couple, and we've learned a couple of things. And uh, this will tie into what we're talking about in the book of Revelation. But um, to say that we were opposites when uh, we got married would be an understatement. Um, she was very detailed and planned and scheduled, um, and I was pretty much a uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of guy. So that made for um, an interesting couple of, first couple of years for us. Um, I remember I, I surprised her with a, a wonderful honeymoon, the one that she always wanted to go on. So we went to Walt Disney World in... That was great, but I didn't plan anything when we were there, and the park was actually really busy, and we didn't have any dinner reservations. And so I could tell, like, from that moment on, like, hey, I'm going to have to step up the game a little bit as far as my preparation goes. And so uh, you can fast forward a few years into our marriage. Um, We began to think and plan for vacations a little bit more intentionally. And so I would go to Barnes & Noble, whatever city we were going to visit, Uh, traveling just was something that we really enjoyed. I would pick up a a $20 book about the city, um, and we would spend time together just um, dreaming and thinking about how we would actually spend our time. Um, The most fruitful thing was we made a return trip to Disney World about year five of our marriage to celebrate um, just how kind God had been to us. And I remember uh, experiencing the fruit of all of that planning that we had put in. The cool thing about Disney World is there were a lot of people like me who um, just were flying by the seat of their pants, but because we had read this book, um, we knew to go away from the crowd. So there was a way to kind of navigate the park, and there was a a time to go and um, see special things at Cinderella's Castle, and we had this vision of all the things that could happen, and we got to experience a lot more because we were actually prepared. And and what we've discovered over 18 years is that um, anticipating... The journey um, is almost as much fun as actually taking the trip itself. So we love to plan and to um, think about all the things that we are going to experience. And this morning, we're really, as a church, God is inviting us to anticipate the greatest journey that we will ever take as we have a final destination of the new heavens and the new earth. And What we're going to discover as we look at the end of the story, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, is that what you're waiting for shapes how you wait, okay? So no one in this room, if you've lived long enough, thinks that life is easy. 
but the way that you endure and the way that you go through hardships and you experience the highs and the lows are shaped ultimately by what we are waiting for. We're not just waiting for our circumstances to change. We're actually waiting to experience the reason that we were created. So I believe God is inviting us this morning to think out loud together about the end of the story that we're all going to experience together. C.S. Lewis, um, he helps us to think about this very well. He says this, The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. I find... If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. So that final line, I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. That's what Revelation 21 and 22 is all about setting our eyes and our gaze on the journey that awaits us, the country that we were made for. And it's to cause us not to be static or to be uninvolved in this present world, but to live in such a way that other people get to go on that journey with us. That's what the end of the story is about. So if you have your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read verses in chapter 21 and verses in chapter 22. So could you stand with me if you are able? Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and the... And the And at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, 
the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, right now I just pray that you would have us have a sense of real purpose and destiny as we read these words. That you would allow us to take the journey that you have called us to this morning that this would transcend no matter what we are facing at this current moment. I pray that you would use this vision of this city to refresh us. I also pray that the vision of this city would shape our city, that we would long to see you make everything new. To do that, we need your spirit. We just simply do not understand or live in the good of your word apart from you performing a miracle inside of us, making us want to live that way. So we humbly ask that you would send your spirit to help us to live out the story that you've called us to as a local church. Father, may Jesus be glorified in the telling of this beautiful story. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all have different backgrounds, we all have different experiences, we all have different gifts, but what we all have in common, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, is we all have a common ending of the story. This that we've just read about, this is the end of the story for all of the people that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This city and the God of this city will be our future inheritance forever and ever. And what I love about these chapters, the last two chapters of the Bible, they are the most full of life and the most practical out of any of the chapters in the Bible. They're not supposed to just be some kind of pie-in-the-sky theology where we just escape from this present world. They're actually meant to shape how we live today. It's meant to shape how you go to work tomorrow. It's meant to shape your relationships and your friendships. It's meant to, um, for college students here this morning, it's meant to shape the career path that you take. For those that um, think that this is not for them because of their badness, this is an invitation to see and to behold the grace of God that holds this whole story together. This is an invitation for us all um, to come before this vision that God has given us and to live in the good of it. And the first thing that we're going to see is that our mission now must be shaped by a vision of this city. Everything that we do is meant to 
be put into place as we consider the vision of this city. Throughout the New Testament, you see this vision of eternity set forth um, as a motivation and as a focal point for the people of God. This is the thing that we are aiming for. This is the thing that we are to labor in light of. This is the thing that we are shooting for. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Philippians 3 verse 20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are more than citizens of the United States, more than citizens of Jonesboro, Arkansas. We are citizens of heaven. Now, last year, I I spent about a 12-hour layover in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. It is probably the most western of the Middle Eastern cities. But it, it was very obvious from the outset that I was not a citizen of that country. There were places that I simply could not go in this airport. Even though there were Starbucks and McDonald's and places I could spend my money, there were places that I couldn't go because I wasn't a citizen of the United Arab Emirates and I wasn't um, a Muslim. So there were places that were cut off from me. And, and i got to tell you, it, it's a strange experience to feel like you don't belong. But that idea of citizenship and our citizenship being in heaven should, in some ways, make us feel like we do not belong here. This world is not meant to be our home. The scriptures describe us as sojourners and exiles. This is, um, we're supposed to live with like one foot in this present world as we're longing and laboring for other people to come to know the joy and the mercy and the grace that we have. But also there, it is to set our eyes and fix our hope on this pilgrimage that we're made for this whole other country, that we're made as citizens of heaven. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9.24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, I'm not really particularly a runner. I enjoy running from time to time. But imagine that we all decided out of an act of sheer craziness that we're all going to join uh, together and we're going to run the St. Jude's Marathon in December next year. Like as a church, we're going to do that. So imagine we all take a pilgrimage over to Memphis and we spend the night in all the hotels and we eat dinner and we're preparing for the next day. And if you've ever been over during the race, I mean, they have, um, you know, they have the paths really clearly marked so that you don't get lost. I mean, can you imagine the confusion if all of us went at the same time and we all decided we were going to run 26.2 miles, but we all went in different directions? I mean, that wouldn't go very far. Um, that wouldn't go very well for very long because, I mean, they, they mark out the trail so that you avoid the dangers and the pitfalls and you don't run into oncoming traffic. Well, that's a little bit of what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 9. We're supposed to run with our destination in view. Because um, honestly, if you're running uh, aimlessly and you're not shooting for anything, it's really easy to get frustrated. So we want to run as those that reach the prize. Listen to this quote from Donald Beloche. He says, Our greatest affliction is not anxiety or even guilt, but rather homesickness, a nostalgia or ineradicable yearning to be at home with God. So most of the things 
that we think we are hungry for or longing for, just like C.S. Lewis said at the beginning, are just an echo of the things that we're actually created for. We all know that we're made for relationship with God and our hearts long to be with Him there. So we want to run in such a way to obtain the prize. And the prize in our inheritance is God Himself. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. This is how this shapes our mission here and now. It says, When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, He responded like this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, the way that Jesus told us to pray, the thing that we're praying for is that that city, that kingdom, would come here on earth as it is in heaven. So it's pretty important for us to not just have some vague hope for us as the people of God. It's, it does us good to think long and to push our minds and to think about the place that we were made for so that we can love and serve our city. It's meant to provoke us to love and to action and to service, to see his kingdom come, to push back darkness, to see poverty and injustice eradicated. This vision of this city is meant to encourage us to go further. And what, when you see this kingdom, I mean, what, what stands out is just the overwhelming size and scope of this city, the beauty of this city. It describes walls of jasper, gates that are made out of large single pearls. Precious stones are just the foundations of this city. The streets are made of pure gold that are translucent and crystal-like. And it says the angel measures this whole city, and it is 12,000 stadia. This is an ancient form of measuring. It's equivalent to about 1,400 miles. So this new city, this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven is this 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400 cube that comes down and rests on earth. Randy Alcorn helps us get our mind around what this could look like. He says in his book, Heaven, he says... The ground level of this city will be nearly 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England, 15,000 times bigger than London. It's 10 times as big as France or Germany and far larger than India. But remember, this is just the ground level. Given the dimensions of a 1,400-mile cube, if the city consisted of different levels, but we don't know this, and if each story were a generous 12 feet high, the city could have over six. Hundred thousand stories. And if on different levels billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per person, if these numbers are figurative, not literal, and that's certainly possible, surely they are meant to convey that the home of God's people will be extremely large and roomy. So we have this overwhelming view of streets that are made of gold, foundations that are precious jewels. This city that is of unimaginable length and height and breadth. But the attraction of this city, all of those things are not to ultimately capture our attention or our gaze. The, the beauty of this city is the beauty of the king. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. And he carried me 
away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. This is the attraction, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now look at verses 22 and 23. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So this brings me to my next point. As we're looking through this framework of seeing God's kingdom to come and how it should shape us here and now, the glory of God is central both now and forever. The glory of God is central both now and forever. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, what we're praying is that the weight and the beauty and the majesty of who God is would come to reign in Jonesboro as it is in heaven. That we, as the people of God, would ascribe to him glory. That doesn't mean just the things that we talk about. It's putting the whole weight of who we are behind the weight of who God is so that he is made much of. The reason that we were created on this planet, we forget this each and every day, but the reason that we were placed on this planet, the reason that we have air and breath in our lungs is to make much of Jesus, right? And so this vision of the glory of God that is at the center of this city and the glory of the Lamb is to be the passion of the people of God. So let's just for a moment allow that truth to seep into who we are and afresh as the people of God realize the reason that we're here is to tell everybody that there is a glorious city that's coming and there is a glorious king that we get to serve. He's the king of love and he's the king of mercy and he is our inheritance. So To live in the good of that, we tell other people. We worship and we sing with all of our hearts and all of our might and all of our souls. To do that, we rearrange our schedules, not to accomplish our own vision of what we think success is, but success is defined by the glory that we bring to Him. John Mark Comer says this, he says, just remember one last thing, this is in his book, Garden City. If your dreams are all about you, hear this, It doesn't matter if you are a college student or you are in middle age or you are about to finish your work career. If your dreams are all about you, then your dreams are way too small. You need to dream larger, larger than your job. I would insert larger than your kids or career or net worth or name or body. You need dreams as large as Jesus's vision of the kingdom. So that's what we are created for. Listen, our city needs to be filled with people that dream big dreams. My friend Donnie Griggs, he led the Small small Town Jesus Conference this weekend. He actually said it's cruel for the people of God to have a small vision of God, right? There should be no one better than the people of God to have a bigger dream for our city. So let's not let the the city government have a better plan for our city than the church, right? So that means for us, we've got to come together, pray, ask God to speak to us so that we can live in the good of his glory. So what will we do in the new heavens and the new earth, right? Some people think we're just going to wear 
robes and play harps, or it's going to be an eternal Chris Tomlin concert, which sounds good to some people and bad to others, right? What actually awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth? Look at verse 24. There's this idea that this city is the center of all of eternity, but people seem to come and go. If you lay this passage over and against Isaiah 60 that you can read on your own, it seems as if there is still goods and services being performed, that people aren't just living life with one cosmic Chris Tomlin concert, but they're actually doing the things that they were created for. God created us first and originally as gardeners to make something of the world. Um, That was kind of put, uh, it definitely was made more difficult because of the fall and because of the curse. But now that the curse is lifted, we actually get to do those things um, with joy and with purpose. Verse 24 says, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. So I don't know, that, that appears to be that goods and services will flow from every different culture and ethnicity into this city to bring glory to the king. So what that means, like if there are things that you are passionate about now that you may not have time to actually fully realize, there's going to be time for that there. So I, I was joking with Aaron this weekend about wanting to learn the electric guitar. Now, Will I probably learn the electric guitar? Odds are probably not good that I'm going to actually spend the time. But I do believe in the new heavens and the new earth that there's going to be time for me to, you know, I mean, I I do a little guitar hero with my son every time we go to an arcade. But there's going to be time to develop those kinds of passion. So that means that it's not just one cosmic concert, but there's going to be building and sculpting and architecture. There's going to be study without, right, without the limitations of the fall. That means the things that you're curious about, you're going to get to be able to go deeper and you're going to get to learn things. There's going to be feasting, feasting and dancing and you're not going to be ashamed and you're not going to stand against the wall just like you were in high school. You're actually going to get to dance with free abandon because you are created in the image of God. All of those things away, you're going to get to, um, we're going to get to learn from each other. This idea of having God's image revealed in us. Every single person in this room has a unique place in God's story, a unique imprint of His glory, and we're going to get to learn from each other. We're going to see what God did in each other's lives. It means you're going to be reunited with loved ones that have gone before. Get to have conversations. (laughs) Um, I'm going to get to meet my grandmother that prayed for me but died before I was born who loved Jesus passionately. There's this image in Hebrews chapter 12 that there's this whole cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. Uh, Jen and I often talk about um, her Aunt Carol and Uncle Gus who loved us, who have gone to be with Jesus, but they're (laughs) cheering us on. There's a baby that we never got to hold that's waiting for us, that's going to be there to greet us. There's going to be no more sadness, no more mourning, no more pain. 
made for this city. And so when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we want to be those kinds of people that live in the good of our vocation and the way that God's created us. The things that we do now actually matter. Listen to N.T. Wright. He helps us with this. He says, What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, selling, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly. He's British. A little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So, everything that we do in his name, for his glory, somehow will live on forever. That's why he's keeping track of even a cold cup of water that's given out in his name. We are able right now to participate in God bringing his kingdom through his people. Now, let's look at chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the, middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this is God being the masterful storyteller that He is. This story begins in a garden with a tree, of the knowledge of good and evil that we tragically partook in because Adam ate from that tree and our eyes were opened to sin and brokenness and plunged into rebellion. But at the end of the story, the tree of life that causes us to live forever and ever comes into view where God will heal everything that's broken about this world. It says that this tree is for the healing of the nations. That's all the peoples. It's not just different ethnicities or different kinds of nations coming together. This is every division that has defined mankind from the beginning will be healed forever. So you can imagine in the city, in the center of the city is these trees that bring life and there's a river and the throne of God. And all of these things are to bring people back together for the reason that they were created to have one voice to glorify God with all that they are. So this means that Jews and Palestinians, blacks and whites, Republicans and Democrats, son-in-laws and mother-in-laws, they will all gather before this throne, right? There'll be no more division. So in light of this picture, when we're praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, this idea of the healing of the nations... That means we need to be agents of healing and reconciliation now. That we don't run away from the tension points of life, but we come as agents of healing and reconciliation. We go towards suffering and not away from it. This means for us now that God's mission begins and ends with healing. 
That's why we go to the nations. That's why we're going to Haiti to be agents of the healing that comes from the gospel of God. That's why I'm making a return trip to Nepal. We go to the nations because we've been given so much. We want to represent our king well. But we're also praying that we could be good stewards that the nations are coming to us. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, the campus of Arkansas State University, but it is very diverse. And so one of the primary reasons we're doing this Alpha course, it's not the only reason, is to have people that are coming here to explore the culture of the United States to be able to ask questions about Christianity. Now we I hope that there's people in this room that will take that course to understand who Jesus is and what he's done, why you can rely on the scriptures. But we want to be good stewards of the gifts that God's given us and live as ambassadors. And this is something I think that God has his finger on for us. And we're going to come back to over and over again this year. Our mission as a church is to seek and to save the lost, right? I think we do a good job, and I'm grateful for that. I think if I asked people what this church is about, they would say grace changes everything. Um, But I think grace needs to change our orientation to people that are far from God. And I'm excited about this year, God doing a work deep in our souls that we would live our lives as missionaries and ambassadors of this kingdom. This is also meant to change how we wait in the meantime. Look at verse 17 of chapter 22. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. This is that invitation. This is for people that are thirsty or lost. Let the one who desires come and take the water of life without price. This brings me to my next point. Life now is meant to be shaped by waiting expectantly for our bridegroom. There's, (laughs) I said at the beginning, what we're waiting for shapes how we wait. So this whole present age filled with joy and sorrow, suffering and pain, is to be lived like a period of engagement when we are waiting. Only thing I remember besides it, felt interminably long about my engagement was what I was waiting for. And my wife, who was terminally romantic, would come to my apartment, and I had a job where I had to be there at like 7 a.m., so I got up, and she would come at like 5.30 in the morning, and she would leave notes on my cars, and she would say, 183 days till I get to be yours, you know? And so I got a note like that almost every day of our engagement. Well, as the church... That's what we're supposed to do for each other, right? There's going to be moments where each and every one of us lose perspective about what this is all about, where we fix our eyes on things that really aren't worth our attention. And we, as the people of God, get to come alongside of each other and say, listen, I just want to remind you, this is what we are waiting for. This is what we're hoping for. And that's going to change the way that we wait. So we want this, um, but we don't wait as some, you know, 
bride that's just secluded off. But we live in the generosity of the bridegroom. So we can live and we can wait expectantly that God actually is going to do what he says he's going to do. That he's going to save people. That he's going to provide for us. That he's going to actually bring into being the things that he's spoken over our lives. You can live in the good of that as the people of God. So we wait expectantly. And so... Yeah, we just want to use not just this gathering, but our gospel communities when they gather to remind each other, hey, this is not the end of the story. This is not our true home. We're waiting for our Savior. It brings me to my final point, point five. We pray for God's kingdom to come means God's final word over his people is grace alone. Chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I love that these are the last words of God's word. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The final word over your story and your life is not your failures. The final words over this book is grace to all. The final word that God will speak over Fellowship Jonesboro will be grace to all. The final word that God will speak (laughs) over all of his people for all of times, despite all of the divisions and all of the factions and all of the unbelief will be Grace to all. And that's meant to shape how we live now. If that's the final word that God speaks to us, it should be the final word that we speak over one another and everyone that we come in contact with. Grace alone is the end of the story. We live in the good of and we speak and we extend grace to one another. This is the message that we take to the world. This is what a homesick world is longing for, grace alone. A place where people don't have to prove themselves or clean themselves up, try to live by some impossible standard, but they get to receive unmerited favor and grace forever and ever. And that's because Jesus did the unimaginably difficult. He was perfect He was beautiful. He was spotless. We were not. He came and lived a life that we could never live because he knew we couldn't measure up. And he was nailed to a cross paying for all of our sins. And there was an exchange that that was made at that point that speaks both then and now and forever that all of our sins are paid for. They were all paid for on the tree. None of them will define us. Grace alone. And then he was raised up so that we could actually begin to give this grace away to other people. He conquered death on our behalf so that we could receive grace and be able to give it away to other people. That's what this world is longing for. One of my friends this weekend said, okay, so you never talked about when is Jesus actually coming back? I didn't have a chart for the whole five months. Um, didn't try to set any dates or speculation. There's some warnings against that. But I will use the words of Jesus. Verse 20. 
He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So, nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows the time. Jesus said to the church in the first century, I am coming soon. It's sooner now than then. So we can live in the good of that. And that's caused to make us want to long for him to come back. This picture of all the hope that we have is meant to speak the beauty of hope to the chaos of this world. That's what we've been talking about for the last five months, that the final word that all of us get to experience is grace to all. That's my prayer for us as a church and my prayer for us this year that we could give that away. I'm going to pray and invite the bands to come up and celebrate this. Father, thank you that your final word over your people is grace to all. No exceptions. I pray that that truth would speak to our consciences. I pray that that truth would speak to our circumstances. I pray that that truth would change how we view ourselves and how we view you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to continue to celebrate the goodness and the grace of God towards us by celebrating this meal. There's going to be, this meal represents a final meal that we're all going to take together at the wedding supper of the Lamb where there will be <laughs> laughing and dancing and rejoicing and a party that will not end. And so I think today, um, above all days, we want to be a group of people that look forward to this meal, right? There's times when you take this in a reflective way, but this would be a time to grab a big piece of bread and say, I'm going home to be with my king. And you take that bread and you eat it with joy because that's what awaits you, grace to all. This bread represents his body that's broken for us. This cup represents his blood that was shed for us, that we're going to toast our king forever and ever. So we're going to rejoice. If, if you would like to participate in this meal, um, the first half of the room, you can come to the front two tables, the back half of the room. You can go to the back tables. Um, this meal is not for perfect people. This is for people that say, I need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is my only hope. That's who gets to come take this meal. So uh, if you're ready, you can come and take the elements as you're ready.